You're listening to the Deliberative Podcast. Welcome to The Deliberative, your weekly podcast all about Exalted. I'm your host, Corey, and joining me today, as always, are Charles. Hey, And Jim. How's it going? Well, it's going fine. Now we're all three back together. We're ready for a new show. And right here at the beginning, we are going to talk about some news. All right, so news this week. We've got new releases Woo! from uh, from Onyx Path. Some new Exalted releases. These come out every month. These uh, Adversaries of the Righteous and uh, the Bestiary thing that they've got going on there. And this week they have put out three new Adversaries for your game. One, a Sidereal named Iron Siaka. And then also a Barrowhound and the Devilstone. So have you guys had a chance to take a look at these? I did, yes. yeah. What do you think? Awesome. Really cool. Yeah, I got I got to say th- this is actually the first time that uh I have I've purchased these uh since they've started doing it. I mean, I saw the the price tag on each one as they came out and I was like, "Whoa. <laughs> At some <laughs> point they're going to put this together into a collected edition and I'm just going to pay the price one time exactly. and be done with it, you know." And uh and so I thought, wow, it's just way, it's way overpriced. But, you know, since we've been doing the show and, you know, I wanted to have some news to talk about, I thought, well, I'll, I'll get them this time. And so uh, I've actually, I've actually enjoyed it. I, I like the fact that it's not, it's not just, hey, here's a, here's an adversary for your game. Here's a bad guy or whatever that you can put your, your characters up against. But it's also kind of like, you want a little extra teaser of what Siderials is going to look like when it comes? Yes. Well, here's a Siderial. Yeah. yeah. So that was that's pretty cool. You get to see some charms, get to see some, uh, you know, some inter- new equipment. Even there's new equipment in some of these things, and new uh, eclipse cast charms that you can, you know, that you can learn as an eclipse. From the I think Barrowhound had the eclipse charm in there with its uh, some kind of baleful howl or something like that. So, uh, which one was your favorite, Jim? Did you have a favorite one of these three? Well, I I it's hard to pick a favorite, but. I'll pick two favorites. I like the Devil Stone, the kind of Ooh, the boy, idea of. I mean, and I just love the story that they put behind it, where yeah. there, there's that little journal where the guy's writing about the Devil Stones, yeah, and yeah, and it makes them feel. And I'm reading this thing. I'm like, what? Well, what are they going to tell me? What are the? What are on these runes? But you know, yeah. then I started to realize <laughs> that. You know, you, you as a storyteller, you could put anything on these runes uh, yeah, that right. that are on these stones. But yeah, I'm like pouring through this thing, like, oh, there's some ancient martial arts that we we nobody knows about, you know, and they're going to reveal that. But it, it's it's right. pretty much a thing that you can use in 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 any story. And there there's some really good hooks with this kind of thing, and it just makes makes me realize like that anything you want to put in an exalted game you can put in there there's right. a way to yeah. do it and yeah. i also like my my second favorite was i mean i like the barrow hounds but i think my second favorite is going to be the sidereal i like the mm-hmm. backstory because i just love reading backstories and the the backstory that you know she 
it, it made me think about some of our old games when she was like dispatched because I think she's like in the bronze faction that's supporting the mm-hmm. the dynast to uh, rule creation. But she comes across the solar, which ends up being a young girl, and it's she can't do it. She can't kill the solar, so she ends up locking her in a tower and trying to consult with people, deciding whether or not she should let her live. So when yeah. I read that, I was like, "Man, this is this is a good character." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to slightly disagree with you on Iron Siaka. I mean, I. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed reading all of her charms. I, I loved the uh, the mace that she has or the gormal that she has. Uh, very interesting with its three different evocations that it mentions there. I, I was I was really cool with all of the the mechanics and whatnot. I did feel like the story for her, uh, other than what you mentioned. I mean, I think the the whole keeping the little girl uh, solar locked in a tower or whatever that was a very interesting part of her story but i thought that the rest of her story was a little too vanilla it's like oh a sidereal bronze faction just hates the anathema and wants to you know her whole life work to defeat them and i just thought it was i thought it was very uh toe the line you know just kind of like like not super imaginative in the whole you know th- there's not a whole lot of three dimensions to this character except for the little girl kept in a tower but uh but i mean you know those sort of disparaging comments aside i i did very much enjoy reading it i'm glad i bought it so well what I, about you charles i believe uh oh, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm gonna respond to that Corey. i i do okay. believe that the way they wrote this is the way these guys write everything they always like to leave things in a in a tension state there's it's not fixed so somebody, a storyteller, could use this character and then walk in there and kill that girl the next day or change this character and almost bring them over to the, uh, you know, supporting the Solars. I mean, there's right. a little bit I of mean, tension left in there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how that goes with the little girl, she could actually change her, her mind. But, but it's that character that she was prior to uh, getting the girl and putting the girl in the tower it's that character is like is essentially like cookie cutter bronze faction sidereal well she was you know, that way that before was, she exalted as well she had a, yeah, a like a right. love affair with the with the dynast right which is just kind of weird but but whatever i mean hey like i said i'm sure you know if it's cookie cutter for a reason i mean all these like stereotypes and things uh you know they do exist for a reason it's because some people out there are like that you i know? mean you got to so, have a little bit of cookie cutter like the the right. unconquered son isn't gonna uh exalt a wimp to his dawn cast you know he's he's right he's gonna get a guy who's already a powerful guy or yeah. you know yeah strong true true what about you charles How, what was your feelings on these well i think um I think my favorite as far as artwork was definitely the Devil Stone. Oh, yeah. Uh, it looked really rad. I really liked the artwork of that. And the story was all well and good. You know, like Jim said, it it laid it out where you could basically reveal any kind of lore through this thing that you wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say, though, that my favorite was Iron Siaka. And the reason is the very reason that you didn't care for her that much, Corey, because it was vanilla. And we don't have anything other than, right now, a 
third edition solar book like i know we have the manuscript or whatever but right now all we really know how to play are solars and if i'm jumping into this game brand new like what if i want to use a sidereal you know because they have a little bit of mention of what they can do in the core rule book in the antagonist section but there's definitely not enough to make a real uh, like a fully realized sidereal. So what I like about this one is, hey, this is kind of a standard sidereal. She has the standard like agendas that you would expect in a sidereal. And like, here's this other little flavor thing. She's got a little girl locked in a tower. So right. I, I, I agree with you. It does seem kind of normal. But since we don't have anything yet, I like that I can use her in a game, or rather, if I want to inject a sidereal into my game, I can say, she is the starting point. This is kind of the default of what they are, so I can then change it from there. But that's always the baseline. If I need to reset or make multiple sidereals, she's kind of... Um, the litmus test that I can go that's back a, to. That's and that's what point, I yeah. really liked about her. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, this is a neat thing. I, and now I'm actually looking a lot more forward to uh, the new ones as they come out. And I'm going to go back and grab some of these older ones too and and uh, take a look at those just to see some of these sweet nuggets that get dropped in here of uh, you know hints of future <laughs> products and whatever. And also just the design of some of the, the charms and abilities and stuff I thought were just so cool. You know, even looking at the, the Barrow Hound and some of what he had, what, what he had going on there, I was just, uh, I was just kind of, I, I don't know. I'm always a little amazed at how, how much room there is in the exalted mechanics to just do some really cool, descriptive, interesting things with your mechanics. And, and, uh, the Barrow Hound had, had quite a bit of that in yeah. there. And so, um, and then with, with all the little like you know how to use this as a storyteller, how to hook all this stuff in, uh, I just I thought they were great. If you, if you guys have not checked out the adversaries of the righteous and the thousand devils night parade, um, you know little drip feed stuff that they're doing, make sure to go out there and get some of these because this is a lot cooler than yeah. I gave it credit for. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about what we've been doing this week. How's your week been going in creation? Charles, why don't we start with you? How's your week been? Uh, this week has been really awesome. Um, if you remember last Great. week, I attempted a first session for my Exalted Chronicle, and it went pretty yep. poorly. So yep. what I decided to do this past Wednesday was, and I, this is going to bug some people out there, and probably you too, Corey, but we hand-waved <laughs> it like... Hey, last week <laughs> didn't happen. We're starting over. <laughs> and it's kind of um it's kind of a way to say, "Hey, I'm sorry. I know that this is kind of a jarring thing to do." I let them keep the five experience that they got from the session. Um That's good. Okay. But I uh, you know, with Corey's help, I kind of re retooled the story, um made it much more uh focused. And I had a very clear, like, the this is kind of the order that things are going to happen in, but it doesn't have a set time in between each one necessarily. There can be some uh, improvisation of, you know, how that flow goes, right. but I had a much right. more clear roadmap. 
and That's it good. made such a difference. Oh man, it was so cool. I had the characters go against this 100-man uh, battle group of ragtag bandits in the woods. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I had it be size two. So I was like, oh, you know, that's like a hundred bandits. Because one of the background things is that since we're playing in the east, there are these bandit bands that are kind of harassing the village. And that'll be kind of like a lower level repeating motif that I want to go with. And so my Avenging Angel Doncast in one hit killed like 80 of them. And we were all just like, (laughs) oh, wow. <laughs> it was just it was he blew through the first and second magnitude track and like half of the last one in one go and I was like holy crap that is radically different than how it played out last week but um yeah that is radically different so um how now I'm I'm I had I I mean I have not actually used the mass combat rules yet in 3rd edition but uh somebody out there might be going what you guys did it all wrong so i mean <laughs> if 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 charles just described something that is that you, that somebody out there goes wait what that can't happen in one hit uh let us know well but i will say sounds awesome I, to me so far charles i i followed the rules as i understood them and i was interpretive about the numbers because it's I mean, it's real vague. Like, size one is, like, a handful of guys. Size two was, it said, like, um, an angry town mob or something like that. So I was like, oh, we'll just have it be randomly 100 guys. That's just kind of a number that I picked. Um, And since he took it down uh, so much, I was like, oh, we'll just say... Well, if there are a handful of guys left, he killed like 80 people like in one go. <laughs> and it was just crazy, man. And then we moved on to some investigation. They were able to... Um, we did some social roles where they actually instilled um, intimacies in a couple of NPCs. So that was a lot of cool. I had to create a new document where I said, oh, you know, Gareth the Baker, they now have a minor tie of gratitude for solving this one little mystery and they right that's cool yeah oh man it was so good so good that sounds good i'm glad man i'm glad it turned out so well like that 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 sounds really fun can't wait to hear the rest of what's going on i took a look at your uh, your sort of longer story there and it looks like these guys are in for a real cool ride so <laughs> can't wait to see how far you get through that each week and and how they kind of take that and shape it themselves and that should be really awesome. Well, cool. Was that so? Is that it? You got anything else you wanted to to add? Um, no, except that you just mentioned you wondered how long it would take them to get through it. That was one thing that <clears throat> that I've been concerned about with uh, writing my own story. Is man, I just feel like when it's on paper, they're gonna blow through this entire thing in like two hours. Like there's no way that they don't finish this all in less than one session. We got through maybe 20% of it last session. And it was just, it was chock full of, uh, it had that one combat, there was investigation, there were social roles, we made a crafting role to repair part of an inn. Dude, it was so, there was so much that happened, such a variety, and there's still so much of this first story left to go. So That's great. That's awesome. 
Well, good job, man. Glad that it turned around. I knew it would. I knew that you'd turn it around and get get it going <laughs> awesomely there. It was just such a low point well, the other week. I was like, oh, man, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, glad I had a sort of happy ending there, or happy beginning. Happy second beginning, Mr. Hand Waver. Whatever. <laughs> hey, there was, you know, defense. I thought... I thought long and hard about it. Um, I tried to work last week's events into it because I didn't want to hand wave it, right? And I was like, man, right. how can I work this in? And when it came down to it, it was just easier to press reset. It really was. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with Charles. Um, that's probably the good move. Whenever you find out that like there was a total bad rules violation that really changed the outcome of the story. It doesn't hurt to just, Hey guys, I made a mistake. Let's, let's start over. And at least now they know they got a good sense of how awesome they are because they took on something, you know, twice the size of what they were struggling with the week before. So they can actually, yeah, but see. you know, yeah. honestly, it wasn't even the mechanic mistake that did it for me. It was just that, you know, I had this very loose series of ideas that I wanted to happen, and I did not. So know you how tightened to begin up the it. story. Yeah. So it was more about like we've kind of muddled up the story. It started off very not cool, and then it landed them where they murdered like fifty dudes in the middle of town, and I was like, okay, well, this is going to add a whole series of complications <laughs> that I didn't plan for, and I don't really want to deal with. So right. I retooled it. It's it was much more focused. I allowed them to still get in that big combat away from town where they could use more essence, which they did, and it was freaking awesome. It just it was Great. it was definitely the right call to reset it. Awesome. Well, good job. Well, this uh, for me it's been kind of a busy week, um, just in terms of all the the little things been doing around with the with the show, with the website, and everything else have been. I've completed the artistic makeover for our resurrected and newly refurbished and rechristened play-by-post forum, which is called Deep Wild, and it's at deepwild.com. There's also a link to it in the fivepoles.com website. In the main menu, there's a link there to Deep Wild. And uh, that's where we're going to be doing some play-by-post stuff. It's where we can discuss things, hopefully with audience members and other friends and whatnot, about the show. And about the new show coming up, Wild Shape, our actual play uh, podcast that we're working on doing. And so all of that stuff is going to kind of revolve around Deep Wild as a, sort of a hub there. And so uh, glad to get that completely redone. I think it looks pretty good. I've also been deep into writing our first actual play story for Wild Shape. It's called Trouble in a Pair of Dice. Yeah, it is. It's uh, kind of a Western theme thing going on. You're going to hear more about that as we get closer to release of that. So I've uh, been working on that this week, getting that all written up, stories all done, looking good. I think we've got all the characters done, so we're, we're about to move forward with that. And uh, so that's been my week. What about you, Jim? Well, Corey, I've been reading martial arts, um, prepping for this week, and so I've been really, really combing over the martial arts sections and seeing how, that's fun. how they work. You know, and with uh, our question we got last week from Luis, um, you know about martial arts like you know it really kind of kind of like hit a note with me and i really wanted to comb over these martial arts and man they are they're just awesome and yeah. uh 
Uh, one other thing I was doing, you mentioned Wild Shape. I've been catching myself on the way home from work, practicing different voices that I want my <laughs> character to have. And, you know, I catch myself uh, saying in multiple different ways, like, uh, you know, like trucks over six wheels, you know, use the two right lanes, but I'm trying to say it in like different voices and stuff. <laughs> so I, I couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out which voice. And then it got to be between two voices. And, you know, after a while, I've, I've already retold my backstory to myself like 20 times. I'm like, so I start looking at road signs. I'm like, you know, like left turn up above, you know, and I'm like, nah, that's not gonna work i need to change that up that's awesome that's awesome so you got one you like yeah i, I well i got i got two two that i'm kind of still working on and maybe uh i don't know they're they're very similar one has more of a of an australian well it, it, one's got kind of an australian accent to it and then the other one is no australian accent but done the same way but right. it, it, it has that kind of westerny feel to it, which it sounds weird being an Australian accent, but you think about it, you know, Australia is in some parts is kinda like the the, oh, the yeah, old they West. Cowboys out there too. Yeah. They have a lot of sand <laughs> there, so <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a desert. Yeah. Well it ain't th- it ain't that hard Australian. So yeah. it's, a little, it's a little different. <laughs> they even have horses. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they don't have horses. Maybe they just ride kangaroos. The cowboys, they call them kangaroo boys out there. I That's good. I cannot do an Australian accent to save my life. Well, I'll tell you this. If you work on the Australian accent, or actually for me, I was working on a, a New Zealand accent for a while and because uh, I was thinking about moving out there. And uh, you kind of lose your British accent. You know, if you, if, you, if you did a really good British accent before, it's hard to get back into the British accent. Yeah, yeah I've done that like, before done too. The New Zealand and the Australian. so well that's cool that sounds fun i cannot wait to to see the characters i mean i I know i've seen the character sheets and whatever of the characters you guys are working on but just to to see them in play to see how it all goes down how the relationship between the characters uh develops it's going to be awesome yeah uh, i really have no idea how my character is going to perceive some of the other characters i mean we've written a little bit of backstory but um yeah it it, it it could be good or it could be bad. I mean, I kind of I kind of <laughs> hope that there's a little bit of like explosive tension between the characters at least at first, and then we can kind of, you know, do that thing that you do in so many movies where you you yeah. set that aside to work for the common goal. Well, with Charles and, being a um, a criminal kind of character and my character being a law enforcement spoiler. guy, ex criminal, <laughs> you know, it could make for some interesting situations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Well, let's. Uh, last week we talked about a new challenge. So our first challenge several episodes ago was to make a new spell. But last week, because of uh, Luis, who who sent us a, a message asking us about martial arts, we decided to do a challenge to ourselves to create a new martial arts style, and to create at least the first charm essence one charm for that style and so what we were looking for there was to have the name of the style a description of the martial art itself the weapons that are used the armor that are that's allowed with that style and then one charm so so sort of just like the write-ups in the in the core book 
that's what we were doing. That's what all three of us have done. And so um, why don't we start out? Jim, you want to start out with your martial arts style? Sure. I what can, did you develop for I us? I could start out. Well, I was thinking about this, and, you know, there's so much in the book now that I wanted to pick something that, you know, um, it, it would be a desire to a player. Like, oh, I couldn't do this before, so if I take this martial arts style, now I can do what I couldn't do before. So, yeah, good idea. Um, parrying... Well, let, let's just start start it this way. Um, an archer. Anytime like you want to play an archer character, you're like, I want to be an archer. I want to be this really cool ranger type character. You always, after you pick your really great bow and like your silver tipped arrows or your moon silver arrows or whatever, whatever floats your boat, you're like, okay, well, what happens when somebody gets in my face? You know, I mm-hmm. can't do anything Mm -hmm. at that point so basically i came up with this style it's called the stinging hornet style and what it is it's a combination of archery and close quarter combat so cool what um let me just give you the description here the stinging hornet style was developed by lunars in the east and taught to their communities they live that live among the great trees Enemies using the trunks and branches as cover necessitated a style that could quickly transfer from range to melee and back again quickly. This is an archery style that blends range abilities of the bow with close quarter combat. Students become proficient with firing arrows at close range while engaging in melee combat. The style also allows the archer to use both the bow and the arrow in each hand as melee weapons to attack with the arrow and parry with the bow. This style is popular among the beastmen settlements of the lunars, but with the return of the solars, their lunar mates have passed this style to them as well. So yeah, that's what I wanted. Like, you know, you, you're, you're sitting there plucking arrows and all of a sudden somebody jumps in your face. Well, you can, uh, you know, you, you got an arrow in one hand and a bow in the other, and you can like parry with the bow and use the arrow as a, as a dagger. So I didn't get to right. the point where I wrote the form, but when you go into stinging here, uh, stinging hornet uh, form, basically the bow will function as a short staff for parrying purposes only of a similar material type. If it's an artifact bow, then it'll be an artifact. It'll have the same stats as an artifact short staff. And then oh, okay. the um, arrow will function as a uh, light bladed weapon. So that's cool. um, the prerequisites uh, users of stinging hornet style must have a two dot ambidexterity, amb- excuse me, ambidexterity merit. So to the two okay. dot merit version. Yeah, because yeah, you get you got to you got to be able to be proficient with both hands. The right. armor that's of the cool. stinging hornet is limited to light armor only. Uh, you can also use no armor as well, but light armor is right. the, the biggest you can use. And of course, the stinging hornet weapons, uh, they use both light and medium bows. I didn't want people to be able to use a heavy bow because it just doesn't fit with the style that, you know, okay. it, it just seems too cumbersome. So medium mm-hmm. is as big as you can get. And you use the bow and arrow to make ranged attacks, and the bows may be made from any material or artifact equivalent of the mundane weapon. And the first charm is called Angry Stinger Attack. 
It is a three-mote charm, martial arts three, essence one, supplemental. It's an instant, and there's no prerequisite charms, obviously, because it's the first one. Prone to swatting attacks, the Hornet must learn to take the attack of opportunity when it is available and strike in a manner it knows best. Angry Stinger attack adds plus two dice to the accuracy modifier for close-ranged attacks. So basically... The person who incorporates this style has gotten so used to someone being up in their face and the core rulebook shows a minus two for most bows of the mundane style because right. uh, someone up in your face makes it very hard to take an accurate shot. But these guys are trained this way. So this charm ultimately just kind of negates that minus two penalty. But if you have right. an artifact bow, which is only at a minus one, then you would actually gain a dice using, well, essentially you are gaining two dice because you're not losing them. So, right. it, um, and this would, you could use this along with your um, excellency martial arts. So this negates that penalty. You would get it close range. So that's well, the style. That's cool, man. I think that's a that's a really sweet style, and to me, it just it conjures images of Legolas in uh, in the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, oh, yeah. Orlando Bloom's Legolas, who takes uh, takes an arrow, stabs it through one orc's eye, pulls that arrow back into the string of his bow, and then shoots <laughs> it into the dude right next to him. I mean, yeah, it just it really feels like that, and uh, you know, using a bow as like kind of a shield and a deflector and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it. I don't know why more people don't do that. I guess maybe because you could hurt the bow and, and break the string. But, you know, part of this martial art is, you know, I guess learning how to keep that from happening, you know, protecting the bow while you're blocking. Yeah, it's it, right? like like rolling with the punches. You're rolling with yeah, the weapon exactly. off of you instead of like a direct block like you would with a shield. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's super cool. It's a it's a really neat addition. It, it sort of fills a hole that you know there wasn't anything there before, and uh, I think it's just I think it's awesome. Good job. It's cool. And you know, you mentioned you know maybe doing a form charm at some point. <clears throat> I actually I do want to to revisit this challenge again, you know, in in, in episodes in the future, and add to our martial arts, you know, kind of over time until we eventually uh, fill it out and get a full martial art. I think that would be awesome oh yeah i really want to complete this uh, this thing yeah yeah i think it'd be cool the uh the one that i came up with i call it spring U style and that's y-e-w which is the kind of wood that is used to make bows actually or used to be made <laughs> used to be used to make long bows and whatnot but it's also a little bit of, of a play on words because um it, of course spring you would lead you to believe you know like you uh, it, it has to do with like green wood you know like a flexible piece of wood and it does that's that's what the whole martial art is about however a lot of the charms and whatnot that are that are going to be involved in this style do end up kind of launching you forward and so the whole spring you style it really is actually springing <laughs> you forward right <laughs> so <laughs> I I just can't help myself. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, what I, what I envision with this here is instead of having like, you know, artifact weapons or anything, I wanted to do a a, a staff style, but one where the, the martial artist was like required to go get a brand new, like trunk of a tree, like a small sapling, uh, something about the same size and heft as a normal like staff. 
but uh, but it's actually like the trunk of a, of a green tree, like a, you know, a living tree. And this comes from kind of my own background is like one of my favorite things to do as a, as a kid. And I even do it now with my children is I like to take them into the woods. And one of the first things we do is we cut down some of these trees with like, you know, I, I take a machete out there and we cut down a tree that's like about staff size, you know, and I, I whack the limbs off and I cut it off at the top and bottom. And then I, I carve, you know, with a knife, the name of each child into one of these. And so we all have these staffs out there, right? And you can use them as like makeshift machetes to tear vines out of the way. And you can kind of, you know, play fight around with them and all this. It's, like, it's just one of the things I loved doing as a kid. And so this style uses that like, you know, fresh tree trunk, as its main weapon and one of the features of like a, a freshly cut tree trunk is that it's very springy has a lot of give to it has a lot of flexibility and so this style involves using that flexibility to to do things that are like unexpected to come at enemies from an unexpected direction and so eventual charms of of the uh, of the martial art would involve you like i think the style the form charm is going to be planting the stick into the ground like firmly and then using it from there like you can leave it standing there and kind of dodge around behind it and it and it adds to your uh, defense you know because this thing's in the way of somebody coming at you but then also you know i want to i want to have like eventual charms be where you can take the stick and grab it from both ends and then put your foot in the middle of it and like launch it you know like out to medium range hit somebody in the back of the head with it and then it like bounces off his head and comes back to your hand and all this weird stuff to do with like this flexible springy wood and so uh, my first charm that i created for it is called uprooted bowl technique that's b-o-l-e not b-o-w-l but the uprooted bowl technique and what you do is the martial artist plants one tip of the staff into the ground and then he quickly shifts his weight to lean on the wood so that it sort of flexes toward the opponent but the opponent doesn't really see that it's bending toward him until all of a sudden you you know kind of ease off of it and let the bottom part of that that stick like pop out of the ground and smack them really hard in the shins or something like that. Right. So it's a, it, it and what this does is the, the benefit is it, it can supplement either a withering or a decisive attack and it gives the attack the benefits of a surprise attack, which oh, that's it, cool. it lowers yeah. their defense by two. Right. Cause they don't see it coming. It's like, what's he doing? And then bam, it hits him. but it can only be used once per scene on each opponent. Because once you do it once there, it's not going to be surprising anymore. But then I added a mastery to it. Cause I was like, well, that's kind of, you know, it's an interesting sort of beginning charm, but I want to give it a little more oomph, especially if you're solar. So I gave it a mastery ability that on a successful decisive attack, this charm also levies an additional minus one wound penalty on the target for the rest of the scene. Because if you ever get smacked by, this is essentially getting switched, right? It's like a big switch. <laughs> like when your grandma says, <laughs> you know, go out, give me a switch, boy. I guess your grandma, you know, she would be kind of manly if she sounded like that. Go ahead and give me a switch, boy. Oh, gosh. But, uh, <laughs> My grandmother is a saint and sounds nothing like that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I kind of think that grandmothers of the future might sound like that. You can use your imagination to figure out why. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> So if you if you get smacked by this thing just right, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting, right? It's going to leave this like awful stinging feeling where it smacked you. And so the mastery is you get the, the opponent's going to get an extra minus one wound penalty on top of whatever his current wound penalty is. So if, his, his, if right now he's at a zero, 
he's going to have this minus one on everything. If he's at a minus two, he's going to be at minus three because he's got this extra stinging hurt. Because maybe he smacked him in the groin or whatever, you know, right inside thigh, some some place where it's going to hurt and it's going to sting really bad for the rest of the fight. So. So that's pretty much it. A lot of, a lot of this stuff. I mean, it's kind of zany. It, it, it's going to be kind of silly looking on the combat field. You know, there's going to be a lot of weird things that are done with this. You know, I imagine, you know, eventually like planting the stick in the ground, jumping into, the, you know, like onto the middle of it and using it to sort of like boing, like shoot you forward at somebody. That's awesome. So there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of weird stuff like that. So anyway, that's mine. Spring you style. All right. What about you, Chuck? What'd you do? <laughs> Oh, right as I took a sip of water. Okay, well, almost <laughs> shorted out my entire recording rig here. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, so, I'm not going to lie. I almost didn't do this this week because I was having a real hard time uh, uh. coming up with stuff. And, like... Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not switch, trying to boy. make excuses. I'm not trying to make excuses, but um, I was just having a real hard time because while I like martial arts, honestly, I don't, I don't think about them a ton because I tend to play characters that don't use martial arts anyways. I tend to play more social. Oh, characters. Cover your ears, Louise. I know. I'm ears. sorry, Louise. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I tend to play like the more social characters. You know this, Corey. Um, so martial arts are just something that I don't naturally gravitate towards. And right. I kept trying to think of one and then I would go check the rule book and I'm like, Oh, well I can't create crane style because there it is right there. It's literally right there in the book. So I kept, <laughs> which is a social martial art. Yeah. So I kept getting more and more frustrated. And then I was trying to think of like the whole no touch martial arts style but that seemed maybe a bit too far out so i ended up coming up with the jade peacock style and yeah you did (laughs) okay (laughs) and uh, it focuses on kind of manipulation and misdirection and theatrics okay and uh the weapons that it uses is the war fan and then I kind of had this idea nice. of like, you know, because it's supposed to represent the the plumage of the peacock. And then I thought, oh right. man, well, what if there were like different levels and each level you got to paint another color of a peacock onto your fan so you could look at another practitioner of the Jade Peacock style and kind of know like, oh, they only have one color and I have all four so Ooh, you, that is super cool. Yeah, kind of like a karate belt. Those kids um, only got yeah. green belts. I've got a black belt. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, so then the other thing with the war fan is that all of these practitioners have to polish and maintain them to a mirror sheen because Ooh. some of the charms later on will rely on um, blinding, you know, for like a turn to maybe allow you to attempt a stealth roll or something like that. Right. So um, it's incompatible with armor, and okay. uh, some of the complementary abilities are due to the theatrical nature of this form. Performance charms can be paired with it. Um, I haven't delved too far into that, but I like the idea that you could use like dance or something like that in addition to this, because I want it to be extremely movement-based of your own body and, you know 
spatial awareness of where the fan is in relation to the sun and all this stuff. So, that's um, cool. <clears throat> the first charm I came up with is brilliant plumage prana. And uh, it, <laughs> say that five times. Fast. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so basically, what this does is you uh, whip the fan around your body to kind of mimic uh, the tail of a peacock and, you know, be all flashy or whatever. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, sounds, it just, I imagine somebody doing this. And it sounds like, is he holding it like at his, like at the small of his back? <laughs> like, like, is that what's happening? That's what I'm seeing in my mind's eye right now. Uh, it can be, or you could just, uh, wave it around your body in fast, sharp movements because you then roll an appearance plus martial arts roll against their your opponent's or your target's guile and if you beat it you dazzle them and kind of make them think like oh this person isn't really you're kind of making yourself seem like you're not a threat that needs to be dealt with immediately right so right. if you're that would actually be my reaction to seeing somebody exactly <laughs> exactly so <laughs> if you're successful that target takes a minus one penalty to all attack rolls against you for a number of rounds equal to your appearance and in addition attacks made by your dazzled target do not incur onslaught penalties so if you dazzle them and they still decide to attack you um their attacks won't count towards onslaught um oh, interesting and what's cool is the penalty can stack and it counts as non-charmed dice for the purposes of using excellency so you can really like boost this thing pretty high um you're right. able to dazzle a number of targets equal to your essence and if you want to dazzle you know let's say you have essence three and you want to dazzle another target you can drop any one of the previously dazzled targets and it's your choice and then uh hmm. just like you did i chose uh mastery so that if you're a solar you're that much more dangerous with this and it says on a successful withering attack against a dazzled target the duration is extended by one round this effect stacks hmm. okay cool that sounds really neat, man. I, I especially love the the different levels of color mastery, and I think that if you incorporate those in some of the charms, you know, if you're this level, this happens. If you're this level, this happens. I think that'll turn it into like a super unique martial art. It, yeah, that would it, be it, cool. To me, it sounds almost like something like the developers of Exalted would come out with because it, it it almost <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like every time they they make something new, it's almost like they're trying to teach us. You know, look, you could even do this, right? Like, I, right. like I read a lot of the stuff in Arms of the Chosen, and I feel like that's what they're doing. Like, you didn't even think about this, but look, you can even use these evocations to do this. And so, I kind of feel like that's what you're doing with it. And it's just, it, it's, it's awesome, man. I think you did a great job. I'm so glad that you didn't just wuss out, but, in, but you know, made something because you made something <laughs> really cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> don't, you don't want manly grandma to make you go get a switch. So. <laughs> <laughs> well awesome well those are cool and we will put all of these up on five poles as we do all the stuff we create and so we'll try to make those look uh just as much like they are presented in the book as we can so that it's just kind of a neat thing you can go look at and as we you know later on 
uh, future episodes, we'll we'll add more to these. Uh, not next episode exactly, but you know, as we as we go forward, we'll we'll add some more until we finally have some completed martial arts. So that'll be just really cool. So I know that some listeners out there are also working on some submissions for this for this challenge because several of them approached us this week and said, "Hey, I'm doing one," and you know, here we are recording the episode and you know maybe didn't make it in it's fine go ahead and send those to us after the fact we'll put yours up too and we will mention you on the next episode and point people to that so if you haven't got it done yet but you're still working on it you don't want to be left out go ahead and send it in and we'll we'll put it up there all right so this week for our feature discussion we just want to have kind of a little bit more of a shorter uh, feature discussion this week but uh, we want to talk about stunting the art and science of stunting and the difference between stunting in second edition and third edition and the positive changes that have been made and i i think that it's 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 worthy of a whole discussion on its own because it is one of like the core tenets of the game at least in my mind yeah and so you know so let's just let's just start with like a broad definition of stunting for somebody who and i know we mentioned this maybe on like episode one or two we talked about stunting just in passing but uh but you know if somebody's just like coming fresh to exalted from other games what what would you how would you how would you describe stunting to them in order to like really catch their attention and show them that it's like something that they really want to pay attention to jim what do you think well, I would describe stunting to a new player as the mechanics of the game encourages you to take more of a of a ownership of the game. So yeah. as you um, as you do something, you know you where you come from a system where you just mundanely, and it even gets shorter than what you know. Like the the first attack is uh, I hit the guy with my sword. And then, like, uh, the next time it comes around, you're rolling the dice in your hand already, and you're like, I'm swinging again, or I'm doing it again, or I'm going to do that thing again, you know? Right, right. Whereas the stunting mechanic encourages you to, like, help paint a picture of what is happening. So everyone else at the table, like, sees it. Like, all right, as he swings, I'm going to slide between his legs and flip over on my belly. And then as I pop back up, I'm going to stab him in the back. You know, like, whoa, that sounded right. pretty cool. And I can actually visualize that. So that's what right. stunning does. And the game rewards you for doing that by giving you more dice to roll. Right. Instead of penalizing you like a lot of other role-playing games oh, would yeah. do. But, you know, if you're, if, especially you're, you're trying to add more stuff on top of just the normal attack. So that means you got to roll more dice to see if you fail more times. And so that's, that's just going to end up punishing you in the long run. Whereas exalted says, sounds great. Make it happen, you know? And, and, you know, you mentioned something about uh, the game encouraging you to describe these things, you know, it, because of the reward, it's encouraging you to do this, but it's also then, it's encouraging you to do something different between, you know, like you're still going to maybe hit him with your spear or whatever else three turns in a row because you're, you've got a spear in your hand and you want to take this guy down. But because you, you know, you can't just say I slide under his legs and stab him. In the back. Yeah. You can't do Why, that every time. Yeah. So first of all, it's not rewarded. The stunning rules specifically say not to give stunt dice to folks who keep doing the same thing. 
but you just you know if you're in the habit already of like thinking of the the environment that surrounds you so that you know the environment just becomes stunting opportunity you know what what's around me what you know what's what's nearby oh there's a table here and there's this here and all you're thinking about is how I'm going to use all of those things for my stunts right right and so you are you are going to add a lot more detail over the course of a fight and it's going to be lots more fun for everybody and I think that when we get to doing our actual play podcast um you know, no disrespect to great shows out there like the Glass Cannon podcast or the Critical Role show on Geek and Sundry on YouTube, but those systems out there that use normal D&D rules, when it gets to combat, those stories really slow down. You mm-hmm. know, if you're listening to Glass Cannon or whatever and they get into a combat episode, you're just like, well, okay. I mean, it's still it's still interesting to listen to. You know, I don't want to take away from how cool their, their uh, podcasts are, but when you have players that are just stunting constantly, I think it's going to make just for a much better game to listen to. Right. And so, I, I mean, just everything about stunting is amazing. And I really wish for the sake of all role-playing that every role-playing game would add it to the game. So, and to yeah, those gal- glass cannon guys credit, they do try to be descriptive. They're not, I mean, they, they do a good job do. in the system they're working in, but Right. Exalted yeah. will let you do so much more. Right. So there were some there were some pretty big changes to stunting. Well, I say pretty big. It's still, you know, still three different levels of stunts and it still adds dice and whatnot. But I think pretty pretty large and significant changes to the stunting system between second edition and third edition. And since we know that there are a lot of people out there that are still playing second edition just because of the wealth of content that's available to them versus the dearth of content on the third edition side, some of them might not be familiar with the differences between second and third. So Charles, how would you, how would you go about just laying down the main differences between second edition stunting and third edition? Uh, well, if I remember correctly, the main kind of one of the main incentives to stunting in second edition, other than the obvious of getting more dice and having a better chance at succeeding at what you're rolling for, is that that was the that was the main way that you regained essence, right? Was stunting? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're um, right. Yeah. So you had to stunt or else you were going to really rapidly run out of essence. And then you were basically not an exalt anymore. So (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) I feel like the difference in third edition is they said, Hey, stunting doesn't grant you essence anymore. It just grants dice and automatic successes because you gain five motes of essence every round of combat. So, uh, you don't feel like you have to hold as much essence in reserve because you're like, man, if I start running out of ways to stunt, you know, then I'm not going to have essence to be able to finish the big batting guy off and that kind of stuff. Right. Third edition just says, hey, we're going to keep topping off your tank. You just keep being awesome and doing this stuff. You're still going to get better chances to succeed. Right. And you know it's it's interesting they chose to give five motes per round in the third edition you know just sort of automatic you get five motes per round whereas in second edition when you had to stunt to get motes back a one dot stunt would only, would only give you two motes Ugh. and a two dot stunt <laughs> so would give low. you four motes 
Yeah, it's just especially now, you know, if you play a little bit of third edition and you're used to this like constant flow of five modes, you know, going back to that second edition and seeing how low the the, the <laughs> awards are, it's it's wow. Because most of the time people are are one dot stunting. Well, actually, that's not true. That's not true. In second edition, the rules for how stunt how stunts were uh, qualified, uh, it was it, it was very different than it is in third edition. Because so in 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 second edition, if you just merely describe your action with some decent detail, that was a one dot stunt. But there was a there was an actual mechanics based way of ensuring that you get a two dot stunt. And the second edition book said that to get a two dot stunt, you need to incorporate the scenery in some way. And so, you know, everybody's like trying to find some way to put a little bit of scenery into all of their stunts to make sure they get the two dice stunt. And so, uh, you know, the majority, I would say the majority of our stunts in second edition were two dot because everybody's trying to, trying to get that four motes of essence back. Right. But the thing is in third edition, that five motes that you get automatically every turn is more than the four motes you got from doing a two dot stunt. And so, you know, it was, you had to go all the way to three dot stunt in second edition to get six motes. And so you're really, you're caught right between the second and the third dot of stunts in terms of how much essence you get back for not really doing anything, but just participating in the combat that really, I think frees you up. And, and I, as a storyteller, I'm sort of primarily a storyteller. I, I, I run the game more than I play it. This is your curse. I for one. Yeah, that's right. But I for one am am very glad that they took that thing out of the two dot stunt that says that you have to use the scenery. And the reason I'm glad that they took it out is not because I don't want the characters to use the scenery. In fact, I want them to use it even more than they did before. But we got into a lot of like sort of tense discussions, I guess you might call them. Arguments like downright fights. I don't know what you call it about the fact that hey, I did use the I did use the environment in my stunt. See, look here, I drug my sword through the dirt as I was running toward the person. Oh, well, you got to pull mine up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just glad for that to be done. And so, didn't somebody uh, let the sun glint along their blade one time? Like, see, use the sun. Sun's in the scenery, you know. And uh, so, yeah, we, we had so many of those kinds of things because sometimes you just look around and you're not, you're not next to a whole bunch of junk to stunt off of. And so just trying to find a way to put the ground or the sky or something into your post or into your, sorry, post, I'm thinking play by post into your, uh, into your stunt. Just, uh, you know, I'm just glad that it's not a part of it anymore. So, um, so yeah, so those are good. So yeah, in, in second edition, also just to, to keep going through the differences here, uh, a one one dot stunt with a, we used to just call them one die stunt because that's what it gave you one die a two die stunt gave you two extra die to use toward whatever it was you're trying to do and a three die stunt would give you three dice to use well that's all very different in third edition too because no matter which level of stunt you accomplish you get two dice so if you stunt at all you know you're going to get two dice you can go ahead and just add that two dice to your roll if you understand that you're stunting you know just go ahead and roll the dice because uh, the two dice is for everything. And so, well, then what's the difference? Well, the difference is the uh, two dot stunt, and they're calling it dot stunt now to, to you know, kind of differentiate point it. Point stunt. But the, I'm sorry, the what? Point stunt. Two point yeah, two stunt. Point, yes, yeah, point, point, yeah, thank you. So the two point stunt gives you the two dice, just like a, a one point stunt does, but also gives you an automatic success. 
And then a three-point stunt gives you two dice, two extra dice to roll, and two automatic successes. And so uh, it is still a progression. Actually, I think it's probably better than it. Well, yeah, it is better because, you know, on average, you get one success per two dice that you roll. And so, you know, by making a three a three-point stunt give you two extra successes and two dice, it's automatically making sure that, you know, what would have been, you know, three dice before now you're you're ensuring that you get at least two success and you're probably going to get a third so i think it's just all around it's just strictly better than it was in second edition like pretty much in every way yeah so um yeah Yeah, now according to the rules Corey, of the third Mm -hmm. edition um you under the two point stunt it says a player might get two or three of these in an evening right. of play where you mentioned right. that most of our stunts in second edition was two dice stunts. Yeah. Almost everything was two dice. Right. So it, it the rules clearly say that, uh, you need to be doing one point stunts every single time. You should be getting these yeah. every time. If yeah. you are not getting a one point stunt, you're just you, throwing away dice. You, you yeah. didn't take a nap before the game and you're <laughs> tired right. and you're not yeah. doing your job. But a three-point stunt, you may or may not see one of these happen at the table at the uh, during a session. One right. guy might get that, and right. it, it might and not. And that's happen. sort of similar to the to second edition. I mean, three di- three dice stunts were very rare in second edition, just like that. Especially yeah, with you the, as the storyteller. <laughs> yeah, I was very I was very stingy uh. with those, wasn't I? Yeah, but the uh, the two dice stunt or the two point stunt though that the difference there is pretty pronounced. So yeah, second edition almost every stunt's a two point stunt because you had to have that essence, uh, you know, regain. And then in third edition, your storyteller is going to be a little bit more a little bit more stingy with those and give them out only when it's just really cool. So um, yeah, yeah, it's good. But you good, also good don't need them as badly. No, of course not. Yeah, you know, I agree. You're gonna get the two dice anyway, so it's just one extra additional success that you're that you're really you know gaming for, and it feels more like a reward too. Like, man, you nailed it. Take an extra success, you know. Like it, it just it feels more rewardy. Whereas in second edition, it felt like almost an obligation, you know. So good change. Well, you know, we've had some we've had some examples. Uh, you know, we've we've played enough Exalted through the years that we have some examples actually recorded of us doing stunts in previous editions, mind you. But, uh, but we thought maybe we just, we, we take a look at some of our old stunts just to give folks an idea out there. If you're new to exalted, you've been listening to this show just because you love our amazing voices and, uh, (laughs) and our sexiness on the air. And you've been really, You've been really interested in this game we're talking about, even though you have no idea what it is. Uh, we thought we'd give you a little example of maybe some of the things that we've done in the past, actual in-game examples of stunts. And so uh, each of us has selected one of our previous from our play-by-post games since they're written out that we could actually read. So, um, Jim, you want to do one first? You want to do one that you've selected? Yeah, I'll do a three-dice stunt that I did. Ooh, three. This was Baku, who was my fire aspect in our Dragonblood game. This was from Season 1 of Unearth. Okay. And it goes like this. Baku runs toward Jansen at full speed, feeling the boost that is provided by his immaculate armor. 
While in stride, Baku pulls his diclave off his back and yells out loud as he charges straight toward his comrade. It looks as if Jansen is completely caught off guard by this action, as he stands perfectly still like a statue. Just what I expected him to do, Baku says to himself. When he is 10 feet from the sorcerer, he activates his velocity magnifier engine and leaps into the air, springing off Jansen's shoulders and flipping to land just in front of the two spiders that are charging this way. As he lands, he tucks his right leg under himself and lets his left leg stretch out wide to keep his balance as he goes low to the ground. Then, just at the right moment, Baku spins counterclockwise, letting his diclave fly parallel to the ground as he spins between the two spiders like a whirlwind letting his sword tear through the beast. After one complete rotation, Baku stands straight up, pushes his right hand violently toward the remaining mutant on the wall, and shouts, die as a flame twice as bright as the first burst forth heading straight towards the creature so that awesome. was a three dice stunt yeah i'd still give you three dice for that even today that's good man that's good yeah and and you know for those who aren't as used to uh, the way second edition works you used to could take a lot more actions in a single tick than you can yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like 80 things that. <laughs> well, yeah. that was like a big massive flurry of actions but yeah, yeah. you can't do now that you now you can really only like flurry like two things together right i mean yeah um so i kind of miss the fact that you can't do more but i understand why they did it that the way that they gosh did it, i don't I miss that at decision. all you don't no yeah. holy well i mean you could you... just add that's because he had a low initiative and all everything was dead by the time it was his turn <laughs> I mean, if you look back at some of the combat posts, it's like there are like 18 lines for one person's turn. And it's just like, that's too yeah. much. It's too much. Yeah, but that was good. Charles, did you have one you picked out? Uh, I did. I also picked a three-point stunt. Uh, but this one is social in nature. So the scene was we were looking Ooh. for a spy in the city. Turning to Yara, Jansen says, why don't we knock on one of these doors and see what we can find? Hmm? He strolls over to the nearest house with a light on and knocks on the door. For a moment, all is still. Then he hears cursing from inside, followed by a loud thump. Someone inside cries out in pain. After another moment, a small man opens the door, his eyes bleary from sleep and age. Nursing his left knee, he grumpily asks, Who are you to come out here in the middle of the night, knocking on doors and waking good work and folk from their beds at this god's forsaken hour? Jansen lets the man rant for a moment. Judging from the way he smells, the man is obviously a tanner. His small clothes are anything but, the skirt brushing the dirty floor. His gray hair, what remains of it, pokes out in thin tufts from underneath the nightcap. He adjusts his spectacles, making his large eyes seem overly so. Good sir, I am Ladal Kabak Jansen, son of Omegar. Surely I'm not intruding too much, am I? He asks, the tone of his voice leaving little doubt as to the answer he expects. The elderly man shakes his head. No, sir, he stutters in response. I was, er, uh, up doing some reading, I was. No trouble at all. He ner nervously shifts his weight from foot to foot, awaiting what he assumes will be a probable death sentence. Now, now, good man, you can relax. We're simply looking for someone, and any help given us would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, and, uh... You, know, you hear that and you think, well, what, what did he stunt? Well, he, you know, and this being a play-by-post um, game, 
he stunted that uh, the whole thing was a stunt he created that man whole cloth and his home <laughs> and everything else and and uh so you know just the fact that he that he went to the trouble to make this cool scene there uh was the the reason for the three die stunt because i mean you know the whole point is you're adding to the game you're adding to the drama and the description you're helping the story player story player the storyteller <laughs> tell the story um you know as excitingly as possible and so that actually really helped and you know thus the three die stunt good job that's a good one and you know that's it's a good point too you can stunt social actions you can stunt <laughs> investigations you can stunt anything anything that you roll dice for you can stunt so don't don't hesitate to stunt on literally everything. So, um, all right. When I picked one from my favorite character, Gauss, who was my Dawncast shocker. Who had a... <laughs> <laughs> well, looking back through all of our games, this is like pretty much the only one I played. So I kind of had to pick a Gauss post, but, <laughs> but anyway, this is my, this is my Gauss. And this was a three dot stunt as well. It says Gauss holds on to Indrival's fists just long enough to turn him around at the end of their spin, Gauss can see the old mill behind the smaller man. The enormous bear seems to swell even greater in size and roars so loud that several branches actually break off of nearby trees and crash to the ground. The bear is his uh, anima. His anima was at the iconic display. Red streaks of lightning pulsate all over Gauss's form out to the edge of his blinding anima and the ground beneath rumbles and shakes with the power flowing through the fierce warrior. The explosive force reaches a crescendo as Gauss pulls back his right fists and punches Indrival in the chest. So, Jeez. yeah, mainly just the description of the uh, the anima and the, and the other sorts of things there. Is that the, the punch that made up. him fly through the barn like... It two walls is. of the bar <laughs> it is and uh, i'm looking at the rest of the post here so he did the first attack he did some damage he did 17 <laughs> dice of damage wow with the punch and then when indraville hit the back wall of the barn it was 53 dice of what? <laughs> <laughs> for a grand total of 70 damage goodness gracious <laughs> rolled rolled not not final damage and he actually took 20 uh bashing damage from was this. that heaven thunderhammer so it was i can tell you i still have all of it here it says he spent 10 modes of peripheral essence to activate second martial arts excellency to purchase five, oh he purchased five automatic successes he spent one mode of peripheral essence on fists of iron technique and three modes on heaven thunderhammer he spends an additional one moat to double net successes on the attack roll per the special ability Good of solar grief. hero form. And he spent one point of willpower to channel his valor and add an additional three dice to the attack. So, so we pretty much yeah. got banned from that town after that happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were glowing as bright as the sun. Uh, you killed a man and blew up a barn. <laughs> yeah, the damage, the, the bashing damage was so much, it filled up his entire damage track with bashing then went back and filled it all up with lethal and then went back and even started on the uh aggravated and filled it almost all full with aggravated oh my gosh. Yeah, can, he was visible for five miles away because he was putting yeah. off so much light so uh so yeah so there's some examples of just simply describing your actions and not just your actions but like with with what gauss did there describing uh your anima and and other things sounds and whatnot that's going on around you and then like with charles's example you know uh describing 
just kind of how he's going about trying to collect this information by actually creating a character and adding that to his description. Now that works better in a play by post setting than it would like maybe around a table. Right. Because I don't know if the storyteller would be like, Oh yeah, it's totally cool for you to just make up NPCs whenever you want to. But it does wow. make sense in a just going to be post, sitting so. over here eating Cheetos. Let me know when you're done uh, playing. And so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to say that for my chronicle, I've totally adopted that. You've allowed them to do that. Well, that's absolutely. Cool. I mean, it, it, you know, because I I told them I reserve the right of storyteller fiat, but like you know, I remember back playing Thief. Uh, you know, playing a thief in D and D, and you're like, oh, I want to pick someone's pocket, and you, then you kind of wait while the dungeon master comes up with that. So for a long time, right. as long as yeah. it is uh, a negligible addition, I've let players mm-hmm. totally come up with that stuff. That's good. Hey That's Corey, good. remember when uh, you used to have a guy like picking locks, and you turned out all the lights in your house, and they had to sneak <laughs> down the hallway and pick a lock. <laughs> Like, he had to literally do that in real life for his character to succeed. (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. And it was fun, but it was stupid at the same time. Yes. But yeah, we had like, we had people standing all in the hallway. So the lights were out and they were like, all the other players are standing in the hallway with like their limbs, you know, kind of in different positions. And and the, the thief had to actually sneak down the hallway without touching anyone and then pick the lock. Now it was one of those, uh, those kind of bedroom locks that only need like the little, the tiny screwdriver kind of a thing. And we gave the guy the tool to actually do it, you know? So he essentially just had to get down the hallway, not touch anybody and, and know how to turn one of those locks. But so you have done some yeah, warping. That, yeah, we, yeah, that's right. I guess we did actually do some warping there. Oh man. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, cool. Well, I hope that gives folks out there, uh, if you're, you know, you're kind of new to this or maybe, you know, maybe you just, you've read the stunting rules and you're like, I don't know, not for me or, or you've never seen exalted in action before. Uh, I hope that gives you some ideas of maybe, you know, some of those ways that you can stunt those things. The stunting is the coolest addition to this game. It's, it's what sets it so much apart yeah. from other games. And so, uh, be sure to do that and get in the habit of just stunting everything don't don't ever let something go by that you just phone it in you know so um so yeah stunting it's a good thing do it all right so for this week's character (laughs) seed i believe charles you're on the block this week are you not i am and i did something really different from our preceding weeks i made a dragon-blooded character oh yeah, using and, that manuscript, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember you cautioned me. You said, hey, there's no formatting in there. It's going to be kind of difficult. Well, the PDF does have a table of contents in it. So it wasn't oh. it wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. So well, that's good. It, if they didn't have that, I probably would have given up. Because uh, that, that manuscript is kind of hard to get through. Just everything yeah. looks the same. Um, so yeah. the character concept is spoiled scion of a noble house. Um, and I actually retooled Jansen from our second edition dragon blooded game and remade yeah, him. It sounded like him. Yeah. <laughs> remade him <laughs> in a uh, third edition, uh, changed up a couple little things, some out of, you know, a little bit more experience and some out of just necessity because of. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. 
Um, it's good. It's good for a first shot at making a dragon blood anyway. Because... Yeah, something you're familiar with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to now dive into the character seed. You're the child okay. of one of the dynastic houses of the empire, whose head is one of the most celebrated and feared sorcerers in the realm, and a longtime professor at the Heptagram on the Isle of Voices. You are groomed from birth to follow in his footsteps and to take part in his unorthodox studies. After primary school, you were a shoo-in for the heptagram, exalting around the age of 15. There you found quite an easy grasp of terrestrial circle sorcery, and your sire couldn't be more pleased. He had always kept you closer to him than most dynastic parents did their young. He had always wanted you to be a part of his special project. Your respect for your father led you to embrace his plans unquestioningly, and so he introduced you to the others he had pulled together from around creation to find the pieces of his grand puzzle. Well, some of that in there was... A bit more tie-in uh, than to our necessary story. for our story, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But so basically, it's the character seed is you're a sorcerer, an air aspect sorcerer, and one of the main driving motivations is uh, gaining the admiration and respect of your father, and maybe one right. day trying to break free of his shadow. And I had a right. lot of fun role playing Jansen. He was kind of annoying. Um, but I feel like more than any other character that I played that I really stuck to this is how someone like that would role play. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. And you know, one thing I was I was just kind of realizing as you were going through the seed there is the use of the second person singular as a way to strip the gender from these character seeds. And I think I want to go back on fivepoles.com and edit every single character seed that we've done so far and put it all in second person. First of all, I think it helps people just like get a feel for that seed better when it's like you were like this, you were like this. Yeah. yeah. But it, it keeps you from having to type him slash her, himself slash herself, or keep Which referring is really to it as the character. It's really off. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's just ugly. And so, um, you know, it, I think that's that's good. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go change all the the character seeds, and from now on, this is the way we're gonna write character seeds. <laughs> hey, and you know, one thing I noticed singular. while I was making uh, this third edition of Jansen is that holy crap! If you want to be a dragon blooded sorcerer, it is expensive. Really? You have to. Yes, you have to take in order to take terrestrial circle sorcery. You have to have at a minimum four other occult charms. Oh wow! Okay, I mean that is a huge buy-in. Well, but still, I mean, occult charms are, are valuable anyway. So how many, how many charms do you get with a uh, with a dragon blooded, a starting dragon blooded? I believe it's still fifteen. It's still fifteen. I don't know if they changed that number. I know you you start with essence too, but uh, yeah, okay. So you know, hey, five. So that's five five charms out of you know 15 right i just i know that some of the other uh characters that we make um and kind of my own personal design ethos is breadth over specificity like my don my don cast avenging angel literally has except for two charms all of them are in melee i'm like "Eh." right yeah yeah okay like that's just too specialized so when i saw that you have to have so many in a cult i was like holy crap that really that i hate to say limits um but it does kind of limit what your character can do 
but it right. just well, you, you just have to, to know going in if you're going to play with the terrestrial circle sorcery charm you are going to have a really specialized character just by the nature right. of it yeah well yeah course, but we also found it that. out on a previous episode that magic is pretty stinking cool oh <laughs> yeah that's true and it, in third edition you get a free spell when you take terrestrial circle sorcery so that gives you you know kind of one more thing whereas i think you had to buy all of those separately in second edition so uh you know you get more charms in third edition uh to choose at character creation a lot more maybe twice as many and then you also get the, that free spell and so you know i think you know with the with all the extra stuff they're giving you you can still make a very well-rounded character there right but but that's cool Cool. Glad glad to see uh, Jansen take the jump to third. I know that uh, Gauss and Ahaz, I think, both jumped to third, didn't we? When we were well, now we that the Dragon Blooded book is out, um, I may make him because I want to snag those um, those nice weapons that are in the Dragon oh, Blood right. book. Yeah, this right. the, yeah, very cool. All right. Well, what do you hear that? What's Who that? Could, who's calling us? Who has this number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah how do they know how to well let's we're unlisted let <laughs> hello hey hey who is this this is neil neil how's oh, it going neil. hey neil hey What's how up, man? thanks for taking my call yeah we're glad you called in hey for those out there who don't know who neil is he's going to be joining us in our first ever actual play podcast done by the deliberative Ooh. and we're calling it wild shape Oh, Neil, yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about your character that you've been working on for Wild Shape. What do you what do you got going on there? So I'm going to be playing a outcast kind of character um, in the setting that you uh, have have given us, where he has been uh, pariah in his community, and he was uh, revealed. Uh, but he, the unconquered son revealed himself to him when he was trying to. Uh, save an animal out in the wilds and he was entrusted essentially kind of becoming a druid type character animal master beast master and uh, he'll be riding a giant yetim which i'm excited to play <laughs> oh that's cool and uh yeah yeah i don't know if i said he's part of the zenith cast so i'm kind of envisioning him being kind of oh. like a again just a beast whisperer kind of character type oh interesting interesting well that's cool well, yeah, for those, uh, you know, you've heard us mention Wild Shape a little bit on previous episodes. And what we're planning on doing there, we're going to have a little bit of a, of a Wild West feel to our first show. And so Neil's character, this outcast, is going to be a real integral part of that group, uh, able to sort of to bridge the gap between both sides of our other players. And so I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to him being on the show. And I'm glad you called in so that you could, you know, just let folks get to know you before we put that up on the air. Uh, and, and so yeah. that they can get to know you better. One of the things that we always ask folks when they come on the show is we ask uh, if you could be any exalt type, which would you be? Yeah. After reading through the different uh, types, I think that I would be a sidereal. <laughs> I think I would be a sidereal. <laughs> it's a big choice, man. Yeah, it is. It is. It says a lot about who you are, I think, you know. But I think it'd be sidereal, and I just like the idea of uh, huh. fate and them kind of directing things from the shadows and from the background, not really being at the forefront. 
I even really like the uh, lore that they have of erasing themselves from <laughs> the record, mm. essentially. Like, I just thought that that sounded really cool. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So we've had, we've got two Sidereals now that have been on the show. Two Sidereals, a Lunar, a Dragonblood. Who was and... the other Sidereal? Uh, uh, that Jamie. was one of our guests, that's right? Jamie. Yeah. 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 And an Infernal. Slash Don Castle. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, well, hey, Neil, I'm, I'm so glad you called. Uh, is there anything that you want to say to the folks out there in exalted radio land? Uh, just that uh, this, this is going to be an exciting game playthrough. Uh, there's not that much out there um, from what I've seen as I've been trying to familiarize myself more and more with the game. And I'm excited to play and excited to learn along with other people as well. So, Neil, this will be your first Exalted game, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, it's actually funny because I was introduced to it just a, a few weeks ago by <laughs> Charles when we were talking about <laughs> another game. And so one of the, the most frustrating things about being friends with Charles is that he knows me now, Hey, we only have well. so much time, so let's keep the list short. <laughs> That's <all> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but, but Charles knows me too well. Since I have known him, anytime he recommends something, like I resist. Oh, gosh, But yes. then I eventually give in and give it a try. And <laughs> like I'll be like, That's the be that was the best movie ever. You were right. <laughs> Or like that game's awesome. So, so when he started recommending this game, like you should you should look away from this game and, and try Exalted. So I was just like, okay. So I I got got my hands on a copy of the rules and started reading through, and I was just like, this is awesome sounding. So him and I yes. were, have just been talking about it, and uh, yeah, just uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that yeah, that reminds the... me of a relationship <laughs> with a guy named Corey that I know about yeah. you know, resisting <laughs> resisting really hard at the first and then finally giving in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Uh, you know, on behalf of uh, folks who need uh, somebody in their life to give them good suggestions like that, uh, Chuck, let me just say thank you for introducing another person to something awesome. Oh, you're welcome. You know, those of us out there who are spreading the awesome, we have a real, you know, we, it's a real ministry getting this awesome out there into the public eye. <laughs> On that note, Corey, I have a friend of mine who's been listening to the podcast who said, I don't know what game y'all are playing, but it sounds really fun because y'all are so passionate about it. So that was, that was nice That's to awesome. hear. That's awesome. Good job, man. Good job. Everybody's doing their, doing their part and you guys out there at home, I hope you're doing your part also, not only in telling a fo telling folks about exalted because exalted is so awesome, but tell folks about the podcast. Am I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Neil. Thanks for calling in. And we cannot wait to see what's going on with Wild Shape and to hear that show, to hear how that all comes together. And so um, I'm sure the folks at home are also waiting with bated breath. So uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll catch thank up you. with thanks, you real Neil. soon. See you, Neil. Bye, Charles. Bye. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Well, that was neat having him call in like that. Good to hear from him. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. So where can folks find more of your stuff, Charles? Uh, you can find me on the official Onyx platforms as Lucky Chucky. 
I also run our Facebook page, The Deliberative Podcast, as well as our Twitter account, at DeliberativePod. Uh, you can always find me at our website at fivepoles.com, or you can meet, reach me direct, email james.fivepoles at gmail.com. I go by username Reform Ninja on the forums. And for all game-related things, including the official Onyx Path forums, and including, since it's live now, the deepwild.com forums, I am Numapilot. So check me out anywhere you see Numapilot. And if you have a question or issue that you would like for us to discuss on the deliberative, please send your question to us at thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, thedeliberativepodcast at gmail.com. And if at all possible, send us a recording of yourself asking the question or making the comment. We'll put it on the show. It'll be awesome. Believe me. Send us some audio clips, guys. We really love them, and we want the rest of the folks out there to hear how awesome you are. Hey, guys, and don't forget, if you got a got a second, leave us a review on iTunes or, you know, uh, drop us a line on one of our many different ways to get in touch with us. Just try to help us get the, the show going and get some people to know that we're out there because they're you know at one time you were looking for this show and you found it so let's try to help other people find this show too i mean we need a place so that uh exalted people can just ride to work and listen to someone talking about the game that they love so help your circle mates out and give us a review so they can find this podcast awesome Thanks for listening to the Deliberative Podcast. Now go forth and bring righteousness to the world as you know best. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-o. See ya.